his movies, the Shia LaBeouf Podcast. This is Episode 4, The Company You Keep, from 2012, directed by Robert Redford. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this is a movie that I don't think either of us had ever heard of before we did all his movies, and somehow, like, I don't understand how that happens when you have a movie where you're, it's either loaded with megastars or just people that are, like, really well-known. I don't understand how this movie was able to so fly under the radar, especially with so many people that, like, we both really like as actors in this. Yeah, I'm really surprised that neither of us caught this one before, and with Cage, Keanu, and now with Shia, there's, like, these gems that I'd never heard of and wouldn't have seen if we hadn't started this podcast, so I'm very happy for that. Every single role in this, major and minor, is played by, you know, either a big star or, a, like, a really great character actor. It was really just, like, a joy to watch this one and discover it, and I was especially surprised you hadn't heard of this, Joey, especially with your background in, like, your reporting yeah. and journalism background and all that kind of stuff. Like, I figured this was right up your alley. As soon as I knew that Shia was a journalist in this, I was just like, oh, here we go. Like, because I think, I don't remember if we said it on the podcast, on another podcast, we, we do so many movie podcasts, like probably an unhealthy amount. Again, we're reaching cage levels that I don't remember what conversations we've had on mic and what we've had off mic. So what I'm about to say has probably been recorded at some point, but like Spotlight, I think, you know, that came out last year, I would watch a 10-hour version. Of it. Like there's just something about like when j- movies about journalism are done right, it tickles that part of my brain where I'm like, oh, this is in some other alternate universe, this is what I, you know, I went to school for, which I did, but then in another alternate universe, I kept doing that. And so to see Shia here, this kind of upstart, you know, not too much, probably about my age, trying to figure out a story, trying to, like, seems like his newspaper is dying, it seems like, you know, all newspapers are dying, but it seems like, you know, they just got rid of the sports section, like, everything's going wrong and he just like he wants to make a difference in the world and just to see him like track down leads and like develop this story i was like oh i'm i'm fully on board for this yeah and i definitely bought shia as this aggressive young intrepid reporter out there trying to make his mark what's interesting about this film too is you know for the shia story thread and everything it's interesting what type of reporter he is at the beginning and what he ends up becoming because they didn't really think about it watching it but now it's like this was around the time where like lots of not just minor local papers like this were dying but major papers were dying or being absorbed by other papers and the internet was you know looming over you know the newspaper market and everything so it's kind of interesting to see from that point like um, the Shia character feels like this guy who needs just like one big story to kind of become known and famous and make his mark and stuff, so I thought that was kind of interesting to watch, too. This whole movie, I, I don't... I can't get over how little I knew about this, because it's not that old, and it came out, what, four years ago. It made $20 million in the box office, but most of that was overseas. I, <laughs> it's weird, but I, I don't know how to continue the conversation, because I'm just sort of still yeah. blown away by the fact that, like, especially considering... I mean, I don't really actively seek it out, but, like, there's minor characters in this. Like, I try to see as many movies with Britt Marling in it as I can. You know, the same thing with Anna Kendrick. They're both in this movie. Obviously, Shia's in this movie, Sam Elliott, who I don't really, like, hunt for, but, like, I really like, you know, it's just, all these different mm-hmm. people show up that I see a lot of the things they're in, let alone all the other people who are in this movie, a Nick Nolte, or a Brendan Gleeson, or just these sort of, you know, like, heavy hitters, right? And it's just, how did, like, all these meetings of the mind come together and just sort of fly so far under the radar? Yeah, and I think what's especially strange 
is that this is all being helmed by Robert Redford. He's a huge star, and he's from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Like, he's always been relevant. And you hear of, like, Redford and Newman. They were always, like, the Ben and Matt of their day, right? <laughs> like, the, you know, the Affleck and the Damon of their yeah. time. Just that it was a Robert Redford production is really strange that, like, you didn't hear about this during award season or, you know, any chatter on any film blogs. Like, this one just feels like it was completely under everyone's radar. And what's kind of weird, in a way, about movies where it's overloaded with stars is that usually it doesn't work. Like, there's been... I, I, maybe it's more of a comedy thing than, like, a drama or, like, a spy thriller or, like, you know, a journalism thriller, or whatever, however you want to classify this movie... I feel like lately there's been like several comedies especially that come out, no fewer than like 10 or 12 people that I love. And there's something about like finding that delicate balance of not necessarily like balancing egos, but sort of balancing screen time, being able to like use actors in roles that do service to them as an actor, but also don't ruin the story. There's so many actors in this movie that you almost feel like they could almost be leaving this movie on their own, but they're sort of cool just being in, like, three or four scenes, because everybody sort of has, like, one part to play on Robert Redford's unfurling narrative toward innocence. Yeah, and I think what's, like, really great about it is, you know, the way it works is that, or the one of the reasons it might work is that each of these characters don't really have a lot of screen time, like you said, so we need, like, a really strong actor or someone who's recognizable so that we could really latch onto them quickly, you know, whether it be Terrence Howard as the FBI director or Chris Cooper as Redford's brother. Like, we need these sort of familiars who are really strong actors to engage us, and, and it works really well. And, and the other thing is most of these guys and, and gals are going to be acting opposite either Shia or Redford, you know? So every time these actors are on screen, those are the only two people they're really sort of interacting with. So it's kind of interesting just to see Redford and Shia go from scene to scene and have, like, this like scene with this really great actor, you know? It's like one after another. Yeah. Like, Shia's interrogation scene with Susan Sarandon, like, that scene's awesome. I really love that scene. Or Redford's scene with Nolte, like, that, you just get the history immediately from them, and everybody has a lot of really good chemistry, and knows, like, everyone knows their role. Like you said, like, everyone is comfortable playing a small part, because it makes the entire whole a lot stronger. Like, you have, just going through IMDb, you have Robert Redford, Shia LaBeouf, then there's Julie Christie, who is, who sort of becomes, like, she's not only in the first half of the movie, but she becomes sort of the third lead. But then you have, like, Susan Sarandon's not in, like, the last hour of the movie. Nick Nolte's here and there. Chris Cooper, Terrence Howard, Stanley Tucci, Richard Jenkins, Anna Kendrick, Brendan Gleeson, Britt Marling, Sam Elliott, Stephen Root. Like, all these people. And it is cool, like, you just see them, how they interact, that they both, for instance, interact with Brendan Gleeson. So you see him with one, and then you see him with the other. Or it feels, in a way, sort of, I think, that's what we were talking about, wink, wink, a couple months ago with Tobin on... Keanu Club, which we just recorded earlier this week, about, like, this movie just feels like it's a world that exists, and I think, I mean, this is another movie that's based on a novel, but this one works, and it feels like the novel is either a fictionalized version of real life or a non-fiction book, because, you know, I was reading, rereading the plot summary on Wikipedia just to make sure that I followed everything. The Weatherman, The Weather Underground, like, that existed. You know, that was, like, a real organization that, you know, I wasn't familiar with, this is the kind of movie where you like, you're like, well that 
feels like something that could be real, but it could also be like a fictionalized. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of, but like, yeah. so if it, it feels like a world that exists because it does exist, like it is our world, and so we're just in there with all these people with like this shared history, and even if they haven't talked to each other in like thirty or forty years or whatever it's been, they all know each other, and like they they can just say like a few words on the phone, like I'm looking for a plumber, and like that just brings them back. You know, it's like <laughs> it's just like this. Yeah. It's it's this great. I don't know. It just it just works. So yeah, I I really didn't know much about the weatherman or the SDS or any any of this stuff outside of what I learned in history class. Like I didn't really study up on it, so I also wasn't sure if this was real or fictional or anything. And it doesn't really um, matter in the end, you know. Like it feels real. Like that's what counts to me is it takes that subject matter and stuff and treats it with a type of respect, I guess, in a way to really kind of. I don't know. It just, it just, it's not like saying what the weatherman did was right, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not, not, exp- it's not justi- exploiting it or anything. Exactly. Yeah, it's not justifying that, and it's not use. it's just sort of like the origin of these characters, their background, the, the thing that they're hiding from or what's chasing them. And I also think what, what works really well about the subject matter, about, you know, the protests in Vietnam and just bringing up the 60s and 70s is that the actors who are portraying these um, the student protesters and everything were actors back then that were active and involved in yeah. the cause and things like that too you know so like there's this nice sort of mirror to who they were then and what they stood for and the type of story they're telling now yeah absolutely so the movie as you mentioned at the very very beginning is starring and directed by and produced by Robert Redford. He's obviously like this, you know, mega all-time movie star known forever and ever by everyone, all generations. I think one of my mom's movie star crushes when she was younger. I'm sure, you know, every woman of that era loved Robert Redford. But what's interesting as we go back, and this is something we were talking about a lot last time on the Charlie Countryman episode, it's interesting to see, like, Shia's really good in this movie, but he's not doing anything that's really out there like as far as i could tell there wasn't any real method acting on this it's not necessarily like an indie but it's not really like a major studio movie so i think he sort of had the flexibility especially you know acting along or like across from his director right like you would think that there would be sort of oh i think we should do the scene this way or whatever but it's sort of interesting like even though he's really good in this he's sort of it seems like he's kind of playing it by the book a little bit yeah, I, I guess I could see that. The way I saw him was he seemed really confident in this role. Like, his character is sort of this pushy, gets up in people's faces and, and kind of invades their personal space a lot. And he seemed to genuinely be, like, the type of guy that would do that. You know, like, it just, again, like, I feel sort of this naturalism to his performance in this. Like, immediately when he came on screen, I kind of just started chuckling because it's like, Shy is in the house. Like, here he is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of he looks a little younger, a little rounder than he will from now on. And right. he he really kind of has like a like starts working out after this movie and, and gets leaner. So he did look a little different. He's got the glasses, a bit of the stubble on his face and stuff. So he kind of like disappears a little bit in the look that way that we have is like in the fact that he's hiding behind stuff on his face in a little bit but like I liked him in this um it kind of starts out his movie and then shifts more to be Redford's movie yeah. and then back and forth you know then by the third act I feel it kind of split down the middle a little bit so he's able to again like so far in most of his movies we've watched he's able to sort of um come in 
be a presence and then disappear for a long time and then come back and sort of pick up without skipping a beat, it feels, you know, like he just, I felt like he worked pretty well. What I really like about his character in this movie, and I do agree that he sort of is not really hiding, but he's just, he's, it's another layer that we haven't really seen in terms of like the the, the accessories, if you will. Uh, but what I really yeah. like is that it seems like he's got this really natural way with like every woman in this movie that you could tell that the first scene that he's in, well, the first time we see him on screen, you know, he's basically hitting on flirting. They have like sort of like a friendly relationship with the receptionist at the newspaper. And then when he goes to Robert Redford's law office, law firm, he's just sitting there with his secretary and you can just tell like you don't see any of that on screen, but you can just sort of tell like he like basically charmed his way into sticking around like she wasn't able to get rid of him. I think like there's like this quiet, like you were saying, I think in a different way, but like his pushiness, like he's got this sort of quiet confidence that he pulls Mm -hmm. off that he's just like, he knows what he needs to do and it's that quiet confidence that sort of leads him all the way to the end where he ultimately makes the decision to sort of not share the story, right? Like, yeah. he, he's, he's, he's so confident in, I guess, his decisions and his actions and himself that he's able to sort of take a step back and be like, I don't need to do this. Yeah, it's funny about his relationship with women in this because just like two other moments that come to mind is with Anna Kendricks, who is his contact at, at the FBI, and you get the sense that he's kind of scorned her in the past, and yet like he's really able to separate business from pleasure, and that kind of takes her aback, you know, a little bit. And then later on, when he's on the phone with Britt Marling, he kind of just charms her over the phone, you know. Like I thought that was cool too, and does that one move where she's on a date and he comes up and asks her out on a date while she's on a date yeah. like he, you know like he's just smooth too and thinks he knows who he is which is interesting because at the very end like you said he, he decides not to publish the article and I think it's because like and, and, and you buy that because I think it's because he's found out like who he really is you know and now he's got the confidence to accept that and everything like I get I buy his journey I get his arc and I feel like it's actually there and I feel like at the end Redford has kind of talked some sense into him opened his eyes a little bit and what's also kind of interesting is that, in a way, like, Rob Redford is a man with everything to lose. Like, if he's yep. not successful in getting Mimi to turn herself in, he's essentially put himself in the national spotlight, and he's either going to go to jail or have to, like, start over and never see his daughter again, which he did earlier in the movie, or earlier in his life when he gave up Britt Marling, right? So he's got, like, everything to lose, and Shia sort of has nothing to lose. He calls, he gets a, a phone call from the Tooch, his yep. newspaper editor. He's like, I need you to send me a story in 24 hours, like, you can lose your job. And you can just tell he's just like, oh, my job, that doesn't pay anything? Like, okay, like, that's okay, <laughs> whatever. And so you can sort of see that, like, he's this guy who has, I mean, he's he's driven, and he's motivated, and he wants to tell the story, but at the end of the day, like, he doesn't have to compromise himself because he knows that he can, like, he'll be okay. Yeah, and, and I think we were, we were talking before the show a little bit about a couple of, of the quotes of his, and Sarandon asks if he has kids, and he's got that line, I barely got furniture. Right. Right? So, like, he doesn't have any attachments either. It's almost as if he's kind of this blank slate, but, I mean, not in the sense that he's got no personality or anything like that, just in that he's got no personal life. Like, nothing is getting in the way of his investigation like that, and so it's kind of sad that he doesn't have a life, you know? Like, he, his life is his work, and, and he's, like, incredibly, in, almost entirely consumed by it. He kind of puts himself in the way of the FBI at different times in this movie, and it never really feels like he's going to get arrested or get, you know, held up. I mean, they do have, they do get a warrant and they search his apartment and that's sort of like a slap in the face, like, 
oh, he's getting too close or whatever, but never feels like he's really at risk of anything severe happening to him. I still feel like if he had more to lose, he might have backed off because not like like normal people or you know like family men or whatever might not want to pursue what they're doing if that comes at the cost of you know possibly never seeing a, a, a wife or a daughter again. You know? Yeah, yeah, I hear that, and and the movie doesn't really have time for that either because we it's Redford who's going to lose the daughter, right? Yeah. Like he's the guy with everything to lose, really. And I really like what they do with his his storyline because it's sort of like the fugitive light in a way, right? Like, it's a fugitive, but it's not like this huge, crazy, conceived manhunt, you know? It's mostly just from, through the eyes of the players, not the public, you know? So you don't really see, like, all that many scenes of tons of cops running through the streets or locking stuff down and stuff, and so I like that, too. And I also think, uh, regarding Shia and, and the FBI and stuff, like, it's a fine line because what he's doing isn't illegal, you know? It's right. quite the opposite, you know? Like, he's investigating the truth, and he's doing things that local police just don't have time for and the FBI just aren't aware of. And and I think because he figures out Redford's true identity, like Redford's been in hiding for 30 years and the FBI's been looking for this guy. Right. And so they, they just feel like they've got egg on their face and they're really just pissed at him because they're losing face. They sort of do just try and muscle him off the case and all that. But it does lead to one or two amusing interactions when with Terrence Howard where first he like has to like accept Shia and needs his help but then when they don't really get any answers he's just kind of like get the fuck out of here and everything <laughs> and he's like oh I'm sorry for doing your job yeah I mean in a way it's kind of like in Point Break where like Keanu as this like young upstart FBI agent kind of like blows up the DEA's spot right <laughs> he's not like intentionally like he's trying to do his job but he's just sort of getting in the way of like other ongoing investigations, uh, and ultimately does does a better job than the other people. It's just it's always like the young upstarts who are sort of making the older men in movies, at least, look bad. Yeah, but I also think it's a comment between you know reporters and the government and stuff. Like if there was just if there was just more willingness to help out each other a little bit, and you know, because everybody is just so standoffish, and if it's like, and everyone's on the same team, so that's another issue. Is just nobody wants anyone's help like you know what i'm saying like in that sense so that you just get like all these people sort of um crashing into each other at different times trying to do the same thing like setting each other back in the meantime i wouldn't say that they're on the same team i would say that they they aren't opposing teams you know what i mean like they're okay yeah because shy is just trying to tell a story he doesn't really care one way or the other if they catch robert redford if they let him go he just knows that he has something here Meanwhile, the FBI is like, if you keep doing your job, like, you're going to compromise what we're doing. So neither of them, like, want to see bad guys get away with stuff. They're not really, like, on the same team, but they're just, like, they're close enough that they should be able to work together. But at the same time, if the FBI does its job fully, sort of Shia can't do his job as well, almost. Yeah, and if and Shia can do his job, I feel like the FBI is like, do your job all you want, but like, don't write the article, right? Like, that's the other because like, if he writes the article, then there'll probably be like an investigation, and you know, a lot of taxpayers' money spent just and and like lots of lives ruined because of the secret that'll be exposed. So there's a lot of just it's very it's all very tense in that sense, right? Is like, what's Shia gonna do? Like it everybody's kind of up in the air about that. So do you think after the movie ends, and I might have forgotten the scene, do you think that he and Britt Marling get together, or are they sort of like ships passing in the night? Because, I mean, they're both young and attractive people. <laughs> she's she's a little bit older, I think, because he's like, oh, I, I guess because they're walking that one time, 
like after the on the on their sort of coffee date ish thing, and he's like, right. oh, I guess I didn't realize how old you were, and so <laughs> it does seem like she's a little bit older than him, but I don't know. I think he turned her off at one particular point, not not like when he insulted her about her age or a couple other things, but uh, after he sort of catches her in the in the lie about never meeting Mina or not knowing her, or there was some right there was something about. Yeah. He caught her in a lie that maybe her father said, and he calls her out, and kind of she gets all pissed off, and she's like, I don't, you know, you should talk to him, this and that. And then after that, he's like, so can I get another date? And she and she just kind of has this look like, this guy is unbelievable. Like, I never want to talk to him again. That's kind of the way I read it anyway, because it's like, he's just so forward. Maybe he's just, maybe he's socially awkward in that way and that he can't read <laughs> those types of signals, you know? But um, if you ask me, she I don't think she really wants to see him again. I feel like everybody in this movie, and I think it's maybe why everybody's sort of interesting on some level, is that, like, nobody's really clear on what they want. Like, Robert Redford knows what he wants. He just wants to spend time with his daughter. Like, I feel like nobody feels good about what they're doing. They all sort of wish things were a little bit different. And maybe, maybe because Shia's the star, maybe it's because Shia's the one that we're watching this movie for... Or maybe it's just because he's the one that's sort of most driven and sort of has the most noble purpose. You sort of feel like he's the right choice for her, but maybe he's not. Like he's, I don't think he necessarily is, because he, 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 he rolled into her life and just sort of forced the truth upon her. And I guess, you know, ultimately you might want that, but you sort of want to come to it on your own terms. Yeah, and he also inadvertently caused the expose of who her real parents were, right? Like, it was all a big secret, like, who her mom and dad are but now because of Shia's meddling and everything her dad has to like tell her like who her real parents are they're fugitives they're on they're these you know one is a murderer and the other is wanted for murder he may or may not have done he comes into her life and the way I saw it he kind of destroyed it by accident <laughs> and, or something. I mean we may have different readings on it but it just seems like he's been causing nothing but trouble and at the end the way I read it he quits being a reporter right, right. Is that yeah so i think it's the best for everybody that <laughs> he tries a new vocation at this point point. and i feel like well i don't know because he doesn't really like fully blow up her spot because if he had published the story and i think that's sort of why he doesn't that he cares about her yeah. on some level or like doesn't want to drag her into it right but like he forces her to learn the truth but he also saves her from like everybody knowing that she's the daughter of like two radical yeah. you know freedom fighters essentially yeah it's the publicity he spares not just her though i felt like he was more sparing redford and his daughter you know more exposure and stuff like that cuz while she is she becomes brit marling's character becomes like a very important character towards the very end of the movie they don't really go back and resolve anything with her very much like that's maybe one of the only loose threads that's kind of left open for interpretation or maybe there was uh, something in the book a note or who knows if they were you know setting up a sequel uh, and they did get together in that because I yeah I just feel like the focus you know is more on Redford's conclusion and all that I wonder I, it, it makes me wonder if the book has a more concrete resolution or maybe it doesn't like it doesn't necessarily matter what happens next i mean the resolution for her is that she finds out the truth and then she can sort of make from it what you will i mean we've talked about so many times in like cage club and keanu club these sort of shoddy adaptations of novels and i feel like this one works and i don't know mm-hmm. i want to read the book but i feel like the book is going to sort of just be a lot more facts 
like a lot more sort of reporting heavy, which I might like. Like I feel like you sort of the way I mean, I guess because it's a more of a successful story, I feel like they took the actual events that happened and sort of depicted those on screen as opposed to adapting whatever else is in the book. I hear you. And and it also feels like there should be a little more here with her character at the end because, you know, her foster dad is about to go try and arrest her birth parents as soon as she finds this information out. So you almost expected her to show up at the cabin at the end as well, you know, or her to show up at the arraignment at the very, very end, or her to be there standing next to Redford's limo. At, you know what I'm saying? Like, you almost expect her to play a bigger role in, on screen, even though she plays a big role off screen. And the other thing is, like, you know, speaking of an, an adaptation and stuff, like, just knowing that this was a book and having seen some of the other adaptations we've seen, most notably like Tune in Tomorrow, that one you know, what happened there, we don't know but like, this just feels like a better movie in general like, it just feels like it's it's very well made, it's a solid film so like, even if I didn't know it was adapted from a book, I'd be like, oh, whoever wrote this screenplay really knows their stuff, and it turns out whoever wrote this screenplay really does know his stuff, because he's got a great resume Yeah, I sent that over to you, he wrote Dark City, which a lot of people I think including Tobin, say is basically what a lot of The Matrix was ripped off of. He wrote Haywire, Soderbergh, and that's great with, uh, what's her name, Gina Carano. He wrote The Limey, which is basically taken but good. <laughs> with Terrence Stamp, who was <gasps> the original oh General Oh my Zod. god, I didn't see that he wrote Hyder in the House, which is the Gary Busey oh, movie. No. Oh no. This, oh this guy's gosh. amazing. We gotta have a Lem Dobbs club, because this guy, so he wrote Romance on <laughs> the Stone, which is sort of a big, he's awesome. uncredited on that. But that was okay. a big 80s movie. Then he wrote Hyder in the House. Then he wrote The Hard Way, which I don't know. But then he wrote Kafka, which is also Soderbergh, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Dark City, The Limey, The Score. Then an okay. episode oh, of the TV score. show. And then Haywire, <laughs> The Company You Keep. And then he's writing a new screenplay called The Life and Death of John Gotti, which I think is... <laughs> oh, with John Travolta and Kelly Preston back together again. So this no guy, way. like... He knows how to make a movie. He knows how to tell a story in two hours. So this is one of those two movies, I think. I think it's two movies. It's this and Lawless, which we're doing next, which is sort of between his experimental phase and his Hollywood phase. And so this one, you know, this is the one that I haven't seen. I saw Lawless several years ago. I don't remember, like, anything about it. I think Tom Hardy's in it. Is that true? Uh, I don't know anything about it, except it might be, like, a gangster flick from gangster times back in the yeah, 40s. That one will be sort of interesting. And then the movie that we're doing after that is going to be the third Transformers. So Lawless feels like that mid-level studio release, which is kind of like this. Like, I think this was put out by, like, Fox or Sony. Like, it's sort of put out by a bigger studio, just, I guess, on a smaller scale, because it only made, like, $5 million in the U.S. This is sort of that, like, wiggle room, like, sort of have a little bit of freedom, and then we're going to get... He's sort of, he, of going to get locked into the big-budget studio movie for the next decade or so, so... It'll be interesting. I think this works really well for him as one of those transitional films, you know, going from those big budget ones to these more smaller indie or experimental films. Like you said with Lawless, that just feels like a step down in scope from Transformers, you know? So, like, he's already trying to go down the escalator a little bit with that, but it still has that glossy, almost 
blockbuster appeal to it where it's just I expect it to be lots of good looking guys and gals you know shooting each other up using 40s lingo and stuff and then you have this which plays like a little indie film but has all this pedigree behind it and all of these big stars and he's one of the two leads you know he's he's not necessarily the full lead of this film but deceptively it seems that way like with marketing with trailers like you definitely feel like this is a Shia movie even though it's much more of like a Redford movie in the end at the end of the day it's just it's a good opportunity for him to you know have scenes with all these powerhouse actors with all that you know can he hold his own and yeah like he can, he's, yeah. he's standing up to the tooch right and he's uh, going tit for tat with Redford I love their first encounter in his law office where he's just shutting him down shutting him down and Shia's just digging and digging and digging until Redford just basically gets up and leaves like like it really worked for me I was really surprised and yeah it's just another one like where was this movie? I'm just, I gotta tell, like, everyone to watch this. And then there's that one scene where they're in the police station, and he's talking to Susan Sarandon, and that's sort of, like, a really, like, he yeah. doesn't really, like, I mean, she's this powerhouse, and she sort of steals that scene, like, because that's, that's pretty much her one scene in the movie, but he still, like, keeps up with her. It's not like he's just, like, rolling over and letting her do it, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. like, a lot of this movie, I think we, we've we sort of said it in other ways, but a lot of this movie is just, like, one-on-one scenes. It's not like there's, like, a lot of people, I mean, there's some scenes where Terrence Howard's yelling at him in front of Anna Kendrick, but a lot of the scenes are just, like, two people talking, and he's on there with these guys that we've been saying have decades of acting experience, and, you know, he keeps up with them, so good for you, Shia. Good job, Liz. <laughs> Yeah, the one the one thing we didn't the one scene I want to mention is um, his interaction with Richard Jenkins because uh, like it just it's just great because it shows the different directions like they went and they went in the like like okay so like Richard Jenkins was one of his radical friends in the 60s but he was never wanted or anything so it turns out he can now teach classes about what he was you know preaching and protesting for and all that kind of stuff so it was like this great ironic scene where Redford shows up in the middle of his class and he's like I don't want anything to do with my past and yet he's teaching what he stood for it's just it was a funny touch that just like I noticed that made me laugh and I also saw it as like you know if he's following the news at all all these people are sort of like everybody that Robert Redford comes in contact with is getting arrested for sort of aiding and abetting him and I can just see Richard Jenkins Mm -hmm. just like no like no everything's going so well like I don't like (laughs) I'm just gonna get in trouble because you're here like no I don't want anything to do with this yeah everyone's kind of going down one by one my favorite was Nolte because he basically like waves to the camera as they put the cups on him (laughs) he's like i'll see you at the appalachian trail yeah so this movie we both really like it it's not available to stream for free anywhere you it looks like you have to pay a couple bucks the rotten tomatoes like the the metacritic was a 57 rotten tomatoes is a 54 they just said like it is a little slow and like spy movies, it's sort of one of those movies where... Like, this isn't necessarily like a spy movie, but it sort of feels like one. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, cloak and dagger stuff. I wrote down spy games begin at one point because he starts, like, doing secret messaging and stuff. Yeah, and so like those kind of movies, if you, like, mentally check out for a scene, you kind of you almost have to rewatch it because every scene is important, even if it doesn't necessarily feel important, because there's just so many layers to this. It's not necessarily for everyone because it is sort of slow and you do need to, like, really pay close attention to it, 
but it is worth seeing. We both liked it, and sort of, I don't think there's too many Shia movies, like, there's only, like, probably fewer than five that I've never heard of. It's not like there's a lot, like, you know, with Cage or Keanu, where we had, you know, 20 or 30 or more movies where it's just sort of like, who knows what's going to happen. Here, like, for the most part, even movies that I haven't seen, I pretty much know what we're going to get in a lot of these, you know? And so I'm excited by this one because it's one of those ones where I did, wasn't sure which way it was going to go, and it turned out to be something that I really liked. Yeah, me too. I I had no idea what to expect from this movie, and it turned out to be a winner in my book. Like other movies, like All the President's Men or Spotlight, you know, those those types of newspaper drama or investigative reporting films, you know, they might carry a little more importance because they're based on real stories or they're adapted from actual people's lives and actual notes or articles and, and this doesn't really seem to go for that, you know, it, it takes the premise of something that was real, like the Weathermen and it creates a fictional account off of them. It's not trying to be like a movie that changes the world, you know, it's not trying to be like very important or anything, but it is very entertaining and it does draw awareness to those events you know, some things that people may never have heard of yeah. or may have forgotten about. And another filmmaker might have been reminded of the Weathermen from this, and maybe they will go on to create a more real account of what went down and, and things that transpired back in the day. So so I still think it works, and it's very entertaining. Absolutely. So go see it and enjoy Cheyenne because he's very good. For all things, all his movies, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub find all the podcasts that we've done so far, what's coming next, as well as the other podcasts on the network. So go listen to things and hear our voices and so on and so forth. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on All His Movies. I've got an illustrated-